I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to this midweek extra episode of the Ministry Watch podcast. The Supreme Court's Dobbs decision put an end to the Roe v. Wade era in America. Many millions of pro-life Americans played a role in bringing about this historic decision, but few have been as active as my guest today, Ryan Baumberger. Ryan's story gives his pro-life activism special power. His biological mother was raped, but chose not to have an abortion. He was then adopted at six weeks of age and grew up in a loving, multiracial Christian home of 15, with 10 of the 13 children being adopted. Today, Ryan and his wife Bethany lead the Radiance Foundation. They are activists, but they prefer to call themselves factivists, using facts, logic, history, data, and reason to make their pro-life arguments in the public square. Today, Ryan and Bethany have four children of their own, two of whom are adopted. Ryan had this conversation with me via Zoom from his home office. Ryan, I've got to admit that whenever the Dobbs decision came down, um, you were one of the first names that came to my mind because I know you've been working for so many years uh, to uh, overturn Roe v. Wade. You've been working both behind the scenes and very publicly. And um, so I guess part of what I should say here today is just congratulations. How did you feel whenever the decision came down? Oh, man, Warren, I was... First of all, I was by myself. So that was weird because <laughs> to have something so historic happen and no one be around you. My wife was at the pro-life women's conference, which was about to begin. My kids were at camp. Our staff was gone, part of them to the, the conference. And so I was overwhelmed, man. I was, I cried probably most of the day. I mean, there would just be these waves of just, God reminded me of how he works through the remnant all the time. And all the people who said this is impossible, you're never going to see it in your lifetime, all that was just disproven in a moment. So it was, I was overjoyed. I was at Summit Ministries in Manitou Springs, Colorado, when um, I found out I was just getting ready to go on stage to speak in front of about 180 high school and college age kids. And they, um, as they were getting ready to introduce me, they, they made the announcement in the room and the place just burst into applause. And um, it was... Um, you know, it's kind of a, I don't know, I mean, for, for Christians, for those of us who have been involved in the pro-life movement for years, um, I do wonder if that might be, you know, where were you when you found out that um, that Roe was overturned might might become one of those, you know, John Kennedy 9-11 moments where you know exactly where you were when you heard, right? Exactly, exactly. It was a beautiful well, moment. Yeah, it was a beautiful moment, and I do, and I do think it's important to kind of celebrate that. But you know, Ryan, I, I've also w want to get your reaction to um, a couple of things. One is that uh, I've been a little bit surprised by the, um, shall we say, diversity of reactions from the evangelical movement. Um, I, you know, I think you and I can agree that it was, it was a beautiful moment. And I think you and I will probably agree, and we'll talk about this in a minute, that, you know, it doesn't end the fight, that there's more work to be done. But those have not been the only two reactions. I mean, there's just been some really weird and strange reactions from the evangelical movement. And I'm just wondering what you saw and what caused you to shake your head. There were a number of things, but I've been shaking my head for a long time. Wondering when, you know, 
certain evangelical leaders were actually going to get in to the fight to defend the, the orphan, to defend those uh, who are being exploited by the abortion industry. So it's not shocking to hear, you know, some of these ridiculous responses to the overturning of such a blatant injustice. I mean, if we're all made in the image of God, which we are, and evangelical leaders know this because that's the DNA of our faith, um, how in the world could you possibly justify, excuse, or in any way, shape, or form give any kind of credibility to Roe v. Wade? But I remember there's a particular, I don't know, am I allowed to name people? Sure, you bet. Yep, that's what we do here. Okay, one individual that I watched this and I just, I don't even know if I can say what my reaction was to it. Jamal Bryant, new birth. Here in his service that was actually a ceremony for baby dedications, this pastor of new birth, um, new birth church, I, he was saying, of course, he was, he was demonizing pro-lifers. I mean, the, the same pathetic bumper sticker mantra that we don't care about people after they're born. He was going into all the things. If you're pro-life, you will do this. If you're pro-life. Well, guess what? The church does this. And it does it all together as the body of Christ. We may not do all things as an individual or an individual organization, but we do all these things of justice. But at the end of his whole, if pro-lifers, you know, if they were truly pro-life, they do this. And he's like, I stand with a woman's right to choose. And the, the church is erupting in applause. And I'm like, your talk, and then he talked about how demonic it was. This The overturning of Roe v. Wade was demonic, was satanic. What? This is the insanity. This is why the church is so ineffective in so many, so many ways and, so, and on so many issues, because you have charlatans like a Jamal Bryant out there actually cheering on the destruction of those made in the image of God. And I'm not even just talking about the unborn who were killed. I'm talking about the women who are exploited and killed by the abortion industry, but they're the acceptable collateral damage. So that's one of the examples of the insanity, uh, the insane yeah. responses. Well, Ryan, I want to let you keep going there, but let me just pause to interrupt you just for a minute because you brought up something that um, in your answer that you and I have spoken about before. Uh, I remember a few years ago when you and I were at the March for Life in Washington, D.C., I interviewed you, and you you were, uh, you were said something along the line, and I'm not going to get this right. I'm going to let you have a chance to correct me, but um, you said something along the lines of, you know, there were a lot of pro-lifers saying that we have to be whole life, that we, that we can't be pro-life until, that we're not really pro-life until we do this, 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 and this. We do all these other things. You kind of alluded uh, to your response to that uh, point of view just a moment ago when you say that that not everyone is called to a specific vocation, but the church as a whole working together, we are concerned with all of those other issues as well. And that I remember what you said to me a couple of years ago was that, you know, we, we don't say, for example, that we should make um, robbery legal uh, because there are certain people who are hungry and they should be allowed to rob, right? No, no, we hold up the moral standard that thou shalt not steal. And, you know, we work on those other things too, but we don't compromise the moral standard. Um, first of all, am I getting your argument right? And can you say more about that? Oh, definitely. I mean, I've written several articles about this. You know, you don't have to actually um, fight every injustice under the sun in order to fight the violence of abortion. The pro-life movement is the only movement that is forced to actually have to address every issue known to humanity in order to legitimize why we exist. 
which is absurd. I understand like the whole life approach and you know the, the seamless garment sort of approach. Yeah, that's what the church should be, absolutely. But it's not possible for a singular movement to carry the cargo of every single injustice. I mean, if we were, it, we would be a sink that that ship that's that's sinking. We would be a ship that's sinking. That's what I want to say. The, I think about slavery. I think about slavery abolitionists. Do they first worry about educating every slave? Do they first worry about making sure that there's housing for every slave, that there's a job after slavery for every slave? Of course not. You abolish the injustice while you're concurrently working on these other things. I mean, the pro-life movement barely has the funding to actually fight the fight against abortion, but somehow we're supposed to fight every other fight. And then maybe, just possibly, our fight is legitimate. But of course, that's just the argument for those who want to diminish who and what the pro-life movement is and diminish the fact that there is the slaughter of the unborn. There is an absolute undeniable exploitation of women by a multi-billion dollar abortion industry. So I dismiss all that nonsense. I am someone who actually, before we started the Radius Foundation, I, I worked as a mentor with young, young kids. I worked in impoverished communities. My wife was a teacher in, in, in urban schools. For years, we had been part of Outreach is there. And then we chose to focus our passion on the injustice of abortion and all that that entails. Um, but we don't make excuses and we don't <laughs> make any apologies for focusing on the violence of abortion. Well, Ryan, all of that said, and first of all, I agree, I agree with you 100 percent. I know a lot of our listeners probably will, too. Um, I, I do think that a lot of pro-life organizations are going to have to, I don't know what the right word is, pivot change, uh, adapt to this environment. And I think also, and this is what I'd like for you to talk about as well, I think a lot of politicians may have to pivot as well. And the relationship between politicians and the pro-life movement is going to change because Roe has been a, has been a very profitable enemy for many organizations in the pro-life movement. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but I think that there's some truth to that, that, that there's nothing like having a demon that you can fight against to marshal supporters and fundraisers. And um, I, I know that maybe the Radiance Foundation hasn't indulged in that kind of rhetoric, but I think you would agree with me that other pro-life organizations have. Uh, what's going to happen now? What's going to be the way forward for pro-life organizations when they don't have Roe as the demon to fight against? Well, the pro-life movement, we have to remember, didn't create the demon of Roe v. Wade. So I have no problems with any organization that's a pro-life organization um, help you know, asking people to fund their cause in order to fight the injustice of abortion. Of course, the overturning of Roe doesn't end that. I mean, it's a state-by-state -state battle right now. Our organization, we've always called ourselves a life-affirming organization. And fundamentally, we've, we fight the issue of life, absolutely. But we have always, since day one, addressed the issue of racism um, because we're all made in the image of God. There are a lot of core identity issues we address. We address gender confusion, LGBT activism, all of that, free speech, religious liberty, uh, fatherlessness, which has been a huge thing for me as a father of four and coming from a family of 15, you know, having a father who had three biological children, but then adopted, my parents adopted, you know, 10 of us, Father, fatherlessness is huge for me. And so there are a number of issues that that we, we address, but I, I don't have, 
I mean, I know that there there are arguments where people will say, well, what are these groups going to do? They exist only because, well, there were abolitionist groups that existed you know, for the abolition of slavery. And maybe some, some of these things morph a little bit for some of the organizations. But like I said, there are still crucial battles to fight in states like Illinois, California, New York, Vermont, the list goes on and on that are so, their laws are actually more radical than Roe. So the work of our fellow pro-life organizations and our colleagues and our friends, that work still has to go on and in some ways exponentially increases for pregnancy centers, for instance, and maternity homes. So I personally don't have a problem with a pro-life movement needing to get the funding because we don't get taxpayer dollars um, in order to fight the, the violence of abortion. So, Ryan, if you were giving some advice to someone listening to our conversation right now, and um, maybe they've been involved in the pro-life movement. Maybe they haven't been, but all of the news of the last few weeks has has pricked their conscience, energized them, um, radicalized them in some some way. Um, you know, radicalized them in favor of uh, the issue of life and wanting to wanting to be more outspoken for life. What you, what what's your advice to that person? Uh, what would you say do first or second? First, always pray. <laughs> and last, always pray. And then in between, honestly, I think God will lead your heart to where maybe you could serve best. Maybe your way of serving. In fact, we have one donor. I, it was so funny for me. A phone call I had with a particular donor. He said, look, I don't really have any talents. I'm just really good at raising money. I guess that's my one talent. And I want to empower those who can do what it is that I, I want to have done, what God's wanting me to do with this money. There are some who are awesome volunteers. There are some who, who could be administrators. There are some who are creatives. Like I'm a creative professional. I used to work in the ad agency world. They can offer their creative talents. So pray first and see where God will place you. If you want to know where your local pregnancy center is, go to pregnancycenters.org. And there, trust me, there are lots of volunteering opportunities and ways that you could help out pregnancy centers from financial to putting your time in um, to being an advocate for mothers and fathers, being a mentor to, to men. A lot of these pregnancy centers have fatherhood mentoring programs. So there are, and if you're a young person, one of the things that I've, I was a mentor when I was in college, uh, big brothers, big sisters, that type of thing. And I encourage college students who may feel like I don't have a lot of money, I don't have a lot of time. Well, they're great student groups, like Students for Life. You can get involved with live action as well, but be a mentor to a kid who's been written off as hopeless and whose situation seems like it's nothing but despair and invest in that, that, that young boy and that young girl. And that investment radically changes their lives. So as a college student, you have a way to impact as well that may be outside of the, the stream of thought when it comes to how you can empower someone with a pro-life worldview. So those are just some of the things, but pray first, pray last, but make sure you're acting all in between. Well, Ryan, when I've got somebody uh, on like you that um, I know has thought deeply and for a long time about these issues and not just thought about them, but acted on them and seen sort of the world react to your actions. And um, I, I, I know that um, you've seen things and heard things that um, I'm not even smart enough to ask you about. Uh, and that's, I guess, my final question for you is that, you know, what's what's really on your mind and heart right now? In other words, as you, you know, as you processing the Dobbs decision, 
coming to the realization that the Roe era is in fact over. Uh, having to lead the the Radiance Foundation, you know, not not having to, but getting to lead the Radiance Foundation. Um, what are what are you saying to yourself? What are you saying? that you're energized about it, that you're even more passionate about than ever, or that you're concerned about that we need now to start addressing in ways that we haven't had to address before? Yeah, well, there's a there's a whole lot of demonization of adoption. Uh, Mark Hamill's latest tweet, not that I'm a fan of Mark Hamill, be, you know, Luke Skywalker, he, he's sadly a pretty bitter person, but he was mocking pro-lifers and saying, you know, in the latest tweet, I will adopt your baby. There's there are so many attacks on adoption. I mean, we've seen it with Bethany Christian Services that have, has completely capitulated to wokeism by saying that it's dangerous to place children of my complexion in, in a home with white parents. We're all creating the image of God, Acts 17, 26, from one bloody created us all. So there is an attack on adoption that's happening. There is also a need. There's there's an awakening that, that has needed to happen in the church, which my wife Bethany and I have been trying to do through the Radiance Foundation for years is to talk about adoption and dispel so many misconceptions about adoption. And now it's even more, I mean, you've got such, you know, venomous attacks from the left, from celebrities, from of course the abortion industry that's hated adoption this whole time. But as Christians, adoption it happens in the natural and the supernatural because of brokenness. And it's an act of love and, and mercy and justice that helps restore what was broken. I know this as an adoptee. I was conceived in rape, but I was adopted in love. My nine other siblings adopted came from horrific backgrounds. And I saw how love transformed their lives. And now I'm an adoptive father. I have four kiddos, two of whom were adopted. So adoption is a huge focus, which is why, in part, because my give you a little backstory. My father passed away last year on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And my wife and I, in order to honor my father, who's who's a man who, where the rest of the world saw me as worthless, he saw my worth. I had an amazing father as a role model. So we have our Henry and Andrea Bomberger Adopted and Loved Fund. And we are giving out grants, 13 each year, to number the number of kids in my the family that I grew up in, to help families who want to bring in a, a vulnerable child and love him or her for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So our focus will be on adoption and the church really needs to wake up and be able to defend what should be first nature to us, not second nature, but first nature. There's no salvation without adoption. Yeah, exactly right. I was going to make that that theological point that we're all adopted, right? We've all been adopted into into the the body of Christ uh, and um and so it, this is should be such a core part of our DNA. And I know some of our listeners might be saying, well, you know, hey, I can't adopt right now. I'm not at a life stage. It just is not, you know, what I feel like I'm being called to. But you can support other people who are called to adoption. You can support them financially, emotionally, and um so, yeah, that's a good word, Ryan. Well, listen, Ryan, I so do appreciate you coming on on fairly short notice onto the program. Thanks so much. And um, just God bless you and your work. And, um, yeah, carry on. Thank you. God bless. You've been listening to my conversation with Ryan Baumberger, the founder with his wife, Bethany, of the Radiance Foundation. To read more from Ryan and to check out our reporter, Kim Roberts' exploration of the topic, Where Does the Pro-Life Movement Go After Roe?, go to the Ministry Watch website. You'll see her story right on the front page. Before we go, I want to thank those of you who made fiscal year-end gifts to Ministry Watch. Thanks to you, we met our year-end goal. 
Now, if you haven't yet donated to Ministry Watch, please know that our needs go on year-round, and we would welcome your support at any time. Just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the Donate button at the top of the page. I also want to remind you that there's an easy and absolutely free way that you can help the program, and that's simply to rate us on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the higher we rank with search engines, and that means other people can find us more easily. Rating us takes just a second or two. doesn't cost you a dime. It's a free, easy, and important way that you can support the Ministry Watch podcast. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Suddeth. I'm Warren Smith, and until next time, may God bless you.